Welcome to Fringe Division. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 11, Bound, which first aired on the 20th of January 2009 on Fox. It was written by Jeff Pinkner, J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orski. I was distracted. I was distracted by your complete lack of an Oxford comma. Oh fuck off! <laughs> just read, <laughs> just read who directed it. And directed by it was written by Jeff Pinkner, J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman, and Roberto Orsi. It was directed by Fred Toy. So, Martin, what did you think? Of episode um, 11. I can't remember. I watched it a month ago. (laughs) (laughs) Did you not rewatch it? God, no. When would I have time for that? We've got plenty of time. I played The Legend of Zelda. All right, okay, fair enough. I found this episode was a bit of a come down from the previous one. Yeah. I read reviews for this when it first came out and people were saying, oh, it's fantastic and it's... um, it's a brilliant uh, mid-season opener and stuff like that. But the main takeaway from that is it's a season opener and the show doesn't let you forget that it's a season opener. Like, mid-season, sorry. Because it rams previous pro- plot points down your throat so hard. There's even a scene where we get a recap of every cast member, <laughs> every character, and flashbacks of them, and it's like, yeah, we get it, we get it, you, you, you know, you're a mid-season opener, you don't need to keep doing this. So this would have been, what, six weeks after the previous episode? Uh, yes. So this aired on January 20th, as uh, the uh, awkwardly artificial voice just told us, and the previous was the 2nd of December. Mm-hmm. We we don't really have season breaks in the UK, so... Uh, no. I mean, I understand it, but that's what previously ons are for. Yeah. So we don't need a scene. We don't need a previously on and a scene. So, you know, we'll just stick it on at the beginning. And it just made the episode so uneven for me. Yeah. And then Olivia escapes, like, pretty easily and pretty quickly. The rest of the episode is a, um, is a, a pattern thing of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, 15 minutes of Olivia being held captive isn't really enough. No. And then you're just jumping straight back into what the show is because you want to tell people who may not have watched the previous episodes what the show's about. <laughs> I mean, I understand it, but it's still, for us who have watched it weekly, it's it's a bit sort of uneven and messy. 
it felt a bit like oh wow the mythology storyline in x-files speak is uh finally taking off and uh then the showrunners just run in and go hey guys look what we can do with your effects budget <laughs> yeah do you want to know something controversial uh-huh i could never get into the x-files i'm not a huge x-files fan either like i tried when it was on and you know it wasn't really my thing even though that was like one of the later seasons and then i tried watching it a couple of years back on uh, streaming and it was just like it's all right it's not bad but uh, i've suddenly not watched any for three years and i i'm not in a rush to go back to it no i watched the first three seasons i think when it first aired and then it just got so and the movie the first movie and it mm. just gets so monotonous and it's like every single episode is something happening and Scully not believing it mm. even though she sees it and then she still doesn't believe it and that went on for seasons and and the movie because the movie spoilers for the Hexfiles movie ends with Scully being rescued from a spaceship and She's unconscious the entire time and doesn't see the spaceship flying up in the air. And it's like, that's just like the whole fucking show in a nutshell, that. So, anyway, we're talking about Fringe, Martin. Yes. Which does owe a lot to the X-Files. I remember when the pilot aired and everyone was just like, right, so they're doing the X-Files. And J.J. Abrams' response was just, uh, what a great show to get compared to. We're clearly doing something right. Exactly. I mean, it had to have been in their heads when they were doing it. Oh, yeah. There's no way that they didn't, you know, see the connection when they were writing it and filming it. So, obviously, it does owe a debt to the X-Files. Yeah. Okie dokie. We're going to go through the plot, Martin. My word, what a revolutionary shake-up for this show. I know, I know. We should have done this from the start, quite frankly. I don't know why we didn't. Um, same old shite. Right. In his lab, Walter Bishop does... Oh, fuck's sake. Does. In his lab, Walter Bishop dozes caterpillars with LSD, while Peter Bishop comments on this sort of thing being the new normal. Yeah. Astrid Fansworth enters and asks if anyone has heard from Olivia Dunham, as she didn't show up to work. dun dun da but we know she got beamed out at the end of the last episode. Beamed out? <laughs> you mean knocked out and put in the back of a van? Oh yeah, I was getting confused <laughs> with David Robert Jones. Right, yeah, okay. So where is Olivia, Martin? Uh, prison. You really haven't watched <laughs> watched this recently, have you? <laughs> don't, don't, they've tied her up somewhere. At a warehouse in an undisclosed location... Olivia is strapped to a gurney, being wheeled down a corridor by two men. You know the embarrassing bit? What? I've got the same page you have open. Oh. But the men remain sm- smiling. A masked man, apparently... Smiling? Smiling. Apparently the ringleader ignores Olivia's protests and pulls a mechanical lever on the gurney that abruptly flips Olivia face down. Back at the Boston FBI office, Philip Broyles briefs the agents on Olivia's abduction and announces that Agent Charlie Francis will be his second in command. Um, this has now become a search and rescue operation. I like the stuff with Broyles and his rescue plan, and mm. uh, 
he was proper worried. He tries to be a tough manly man, but you know he's sensitive. Yeah, and he, no, was he worried cares about his olive. He cares a lot about Olivia. He really does. But he Would said, "Would you slash them? What? Would you slash Broyles and Olivia? Uh, how how could you how could you do that? How could you? What would their um name be? Broylivia, Olivia Loyals. <laughs> oh, his name's Philip. No one calls him that. No, Olivia. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm. Olivia. But you know, if they did get together, and it was sexy times, mm-hmm. he would just lean over intimately and whisper in her ear, "Liaison." <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? Aye, so Charlie Francis, Charlie, good old Charlie. I really, really, really like Charlie this episode. Yes, like a lot. This is the Charlie I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> being loyal and basically it takes for Olivia. Um, so Charlie is uh, second in command, and I thought when Philip Broyles says that it means he is his second in command. But apparently this is just Charlie being the second in command for this operation. Yeah, but for the search and rescue. Yeah. Because when something like this happens, it's standard FBI procedure to get the people with the closest feelings for the person who's missing to have mm-hmm. the most important jobs. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, and as as our resident FBI expert, Martin, you'll know this. So. Yes. While Olivia hangs face down on the gurney, the restraining straps holding her in place... Uh, the masked man gives her a spinal tap. Um, it grabs, goes up to 11. I was just going to say that, yeah. And she loses consciousness. But not before she notices her captor's shoes, including a white spot on the right shoe. Moments later, in another room, the man removes his mask and reveals himself to be none other than FBI agent Mitchell Loeb. Dun, dun, dun. Mitchell Loeb's a baddie. We knew that already, but still. Now we know it again. Yes. If only he wasn't so forgettable. I know. I mean, watching this the first time, like, if you watched this and you hadn't watched it for six weeks, or you were actually watching the show for the first time, which I don't know why you would jump in halfway through the season, but still. People did that. They didn't have Netflix. I know. But, like, if you were watching it for the first time, that reveal would mean absolutely nothing. It still kind of does mean absolutely nothing. Mm. Olivia is now right side up and conscious again, Martin. Hey! Yay! She pleads for some water, but with the restraints on her head, it's difficult for her to drink. Taking pity on her, which she really shouldn't, the guard allows her to sit up, and in a flash, Olivia smashes the glass against the guard's head. She quickly releases the other strap, knocks out the other guard, and looks for an escape. She's a strong, independent lady. She's a fucking badass in this episode. She is. Yeah, and then episode, what, eight, um, where she fights Skelly and Jacob's character, she sort of struggled with that, but here she takes out about ten men. (laughs) I think they decided, you know what, maybe we should make Olivia a little bit stronger. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Will it stick? I don't know. I hope strong Olivia sticks to the show like that white spot on... uh... Mitchell Loeb's shoe. Yes. I wonder what that is. Dandruff. It can't be dandruff, Martin. It's stuck to his shoe. How is it? How could it be dandruff? Glue. Glue. Yes. It could be bird poop. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly not something like cum. 
Right, so... You can't say that on a podcast! (laughs) That's outrageous. (laughs) My mum listens to this. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. No. Back at the FBI, Broyles receives a phone call from an old friend, Sanford Harris. This prick. Harris says that he will be conducting a formal review of the Fringe Division. Because conflict, Martin. Yes. Yes. Meanwhile, Olivia makes her way through the warehouse and finds evidence of strange experiments. She grabs some samples and test tubes and places them in a stainless steel thermos. Once outside, Olivia uses the keyless remote she took from one of the guards to find a car and takes off. I really like uh, Michael Gaston in this episode, who plays Sanford Harris. Mm -hmm. Uh, I first saw him in a show called Jericho from the mid-2000s. And he pops up in many, many things, always as this same guy who's a bit of a prick. Yeah, I can't remember where I've seen him. I didn't watch Jericho, but I recognise him. He was in Man in a High Castle, and he was actually quite a nice guy, and you were just like, I don't trust you, even though there's no reason not to. (laughs) On the road, Olivia calls Broyles. She tells him she's escaped. Before her rendezvous with the requested agents, she pulls over and buries the thermos in a vacant lot. When the FBI agents arrive, Olivia is shocked when they pull weapons on her, Martin. Yeah, this was a good twist. I didn't see it coming. One of the agents shoots her with a tranquilizer. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, though. I mean, if I was running a uh, law enforcement division and someone had just come out of a trauma, I wouldn't, you know, want my armed responders to then be taking orders from them before they got checked out. But this isn't Broyles who's done this. No. So, if they if they listened to Broyles and they would have just have... And also, you'd imagine that they know her. You'd think. So, I mean, unless they're, like, other agents that Harris brought in with them. I'm gonna go with that. Right, okay, good. When she comes to in a hospital room, she finds Harris sitting in a chair next to her bed. She's handcuffed to the bed... As Harris discusses Olivia's situation, we learn that he is the former marine officer Olivia helped prosecute for sexual harassment. This is a cool callback. It is. Yeah, because it is something we heard about before. Yeah, it was mentioned in the pilot, and that's mm-hmm. why Broyles didn't like her at first. But then she was just A1 tip-top at being an FBI lady that he had to change his mind. I actually forgot about this whole internal affairs subplot, but... Here it is. And the other thing you forgot about is going to be revealed soon as well. Possibly. I do forget. Oh, you're not a guest. You're right. Yes, exactly. Um, Homeland Security has assigned Harris to review Fringe Division. He cites Olivia's history of questionable judgment, including her romantic involvement with John Scott and her recruitment of known criminal Peter Bishop and the insane Walter Bishop because we had to have all those flashbacks in case people hadn't seen the previous 10 episodes. That was me, not the Wikipedia. (laughs) Harris forbids Olivia to investigate her own abduction and tosses a handcuff key to her prior prior to leaving the room. See, I'm not sure about this plot. It's a bit heavy-handed, but I think it generally works. No, it's it's good that it's bringing back something that we heard in the pilot about what she did. And that's good, that her past is coming back to haunt her. But... It just seems so rushed. Yeah, that's true. In amongst all this nonsense with Olivia being captured, 
Broyles gets a phone call from Harris and he says, I'm coming to see you. And then he's there the next like scene. And it's all very rushed. If Harris was introduced in the last episode, but we didn't know who he was. But then we'd need to write in a new character in this episode to have a flashback scene to explain who he was. So he could mention all the other characters in flashbacks. What I mean is... The phone call between him and Broyles could have happened in the previous episode because we don't find out about um, him and Olivia's past in that phone call. So if that was in the last episode, then at least it sets it up a little that not only has Olivia been captured, but this guy is coming to, you know, investigate Fringe Division. Do you know what I mean? Yes, that would be better. Yeah, thank you, Martin. Charlie reassures Olivia that he had nothing to do with the way she was picked up. And tells her that they raided the warehouse and found nothing. Uh, that was nice of Charlie. The car and the cell phone she took are also clean, meaning they have no leads. So Charlie leaves. He also tells her that her sister Rachel is downstairs waiting for her. Displeasure registers on Olivia's face, but she greets Rachel and her daughter Ella cheerfully. Olivia has to rush off, but confirms to Rachel... Uh, that she and Ella may stay at her home. Hooray! Quickly, we need to develop Olivia more as a character. Give her some relatives. Yes. Excuse me one second. <laughs> Fucking hate this development. <laughs> so much so that you blocked it from your memory. No, I, I didn't block it from my memory. I knew she had a sister and a niece. But what I blocked from my memory was when they appeared, because I thought they were in it from the start. My memory was that they were there, oh, no. staying with her from the beginning. No, I know that now, Martin. That was my memory. But now, this just makes it worse, because this is them just cramming in two characters that we've never seen before. Well, one and a half, to be fair. <laughs> one and a half characters that we haven't seen before. Just to give Olivia more... I mean, we don't need it. We know what Olivia's like. We don't need her to care about her sister and her niece. No, not really. They don't really add much. I scared my cat when I screamed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, baby. Olivia, Pete and Walter go to the vacant lot where Olivia hid the thermos. Walter sets up a lab in the back of Olivia's vehicle and uses a microscope to examine one of the specimens. Oliver, Oliver... Olivia had secreted. (laughs) Secreted? Secreted. But that's not the correct word, is it? No, I don't think this is a professionally written website. Yes, because I think it means secreted as in secretly hid, but it's secreted, which is a different word. (laughs) That means when she produces it waterly. (laughs) Yes! He identifies the specimen, but does not elaborate. Because TV. (laughs) We need to find out later. (laughs) Or the show would end right there. Uh, Right, so now the actual plot of the episode starts, Martin. Hooray! Finally! 15 minutes. 15 minutes before the actual opening credits start, which is a record. Or standard today. Yeah, today, yeah, but for Fringe, that's a record. Is it legit the longest one? So far, yes. 15 minutes is the longest. Because they had to cram in an entire episode's worth of Olivia being captured in 15 minutes. So. I liked that episode better. <laughs> what, the first 15 minutes of the show? Yeah. Exactly. I would like to have seen more of that. And I would like... Because if they did that, if it was like more half the episode, or if it was a full episode, 
then give us something better than a white spot on Mitchell's shoe for her to recognise that it was Mitchell. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. In a lecture hall at Boston College, a biology professor gives a lecture about viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Uh, and pr- proto- protozoa. Protozoa. There you go. The four musketeers of the pathogenic world. That's not how musketeers work. No. I know. In mid-sentence, he suddenly begins to choke and falls over. His teaching assistant yells for someone to call 911. Apparently, you can call 911 in the UK because so many people thought that was the actual emergency number from films. Because people are fucking stupid. This isn't my favourite fringe monster of the week. It was a bit rubbish. Um, It was kind of similar to an episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's, it's very Star Trek. But those ones could fly, so All right, uh, okay. that was more fun. Also, they had lasers. Oh, cool. The professor dies while the teaching assistant, Tara, who tried to give him artificial, artificial respiration, watches in horror. The professor's throat becomes enlarged, and what looks like a massive slug crawls out of his open mouth. That's pretty icky. It is. So then we have the opening credits, and... When we come back, we get one line from Broyles that has that is a voiceover that's just been shoved in there. That's my per- personal pet peeve, is really noticeable shoved-in voiceover lines. Yeah, did you notice this one? Yes. Because he just says, I know you're just back, I know you've just been through, no, is it, I know you've had a crap day or whatever, but um, mm. there's a thing you need to go and look at. She doesn't really need to go and look at it, but they put that in there anyway, and it's like "Mm, that's just a bit lazy. Later, the lecture hall has been sealed off. Uh, The dead professor is identified as Dr. Miles Kinberg, a renowned immunologist. 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 He studies puppet birds. (laughs) As Peter collaborates a thermal imaging device to try and track the slug, Walter examines the dead professor. Peter locates the slug, which Walter ultimately traps under an empty trash can. That saves on the CGI budget. It does, doesn't it? Because at least when you're looking for the thermal thing, it's probably cheaper (laughs) Mm -hmm. to fake that. Do you get the Kinberg reference? The two doctors are Dr. Kinberg and Dr. Simon, and Simon Kinberg ah, is a right. screenwriter. Right, yeah. Yeah, he fucked up the X-Men films. Right, so... <clears throat> Days of Future Past was good. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. But that that's when it should have ended. Probably. Because the end of Days of Future Past is like a definitive ending. And the other ones have been crap. Yeah, and there have been two more since then. And one of them's Dark Phoenix. So... Anyway. I didn't think Dark Phoenix was that bad. I didn't think it was that good. But I I don't really get why it got so much hate when... What's the other one? Apocalypse? Apocalypse is worse than Dark Phoenix. Oh, God, yeah. And, like, that was a horrible mess of a film. But no one really commented. And then Dark Phoenix, everyone was like, That's awful. And it's like, well, it's not awful. It's just bland. Yeah. And tired. It's yeah. It's fine. You can put it on and be like, Yep, that sure was an X-Men film. Yeah. Argue. I've not seen it since the cinema, but I'd argue it was possibly better than X Men Three. It is better than X Men Three. It's not the worst film in the franchise. That's X Men Origins Wolverine, mm. but um, or Apocalypse. 
But no, Dark Dark Phoenix is not too bad. It's just it's not needed. They were all they were saying, Oh, this is the end, they were finishing up. That's why Days of Future Past ends the way it does. Yeah. Um but yeah. Anyway. Subscribe now to X Men Division <laughs> from the Best Friends Podcast Network. Yes. We should do a podcast on comic book movies. I want to do that for a while. Let's rattle through this, Martin. Quick, quick. Right. Uh, Walter takes a tissue sample from the slug and confirms that it's connected to the material that Olivia stole from her kidnapper's warehouse. Browse defends Olivia to Harris, but it is clear that Harris is now in charge and remains unconvinced that Olivia is the exemplary exemplary agent. Um, I have trouble with L's and R's. Words. Yeah, trouble with words, but L's and R's and words particularly. Olivia questions the professor's teaching assistant, Tara, and works out that she was having an affair with him. And then Tara reveals that Kinberg was going to take a job at the uh, CDC to coordinate national response to biological threats. That would have been useful. Yeah. So Olivia discovers that another scientist, Dr. Russell Simon of Cambridge, was slated to co-chair the committee with Kinberg, and she believes that he is also a target and that the people who kidnapped her are behind the latest attack. Her thinking being, why kill an epidemiologist unless you want to start an epidemic? Um, that's a bit of a stretch, though, isn't it? Yes, lucky guess. But if you're a uh, epidemiologist and the FBI are like, oh, we need to come and take you in protective custody, it's either a really good idea or a really bad idea, depending on what kind of show you're on mm-hmm. or a really good idea that turns out to be a really bad idea in this case yes um olivia talks to much Loeb, uh and he says don't worry um we'll find them and that's what kind of fucks him up later on because he says exactly the same thing twice uh anyway afterward olivia and charlie pick up dr simon in the middle of questioning harris interrupts them he is upset that he was not informed about Olivia's decision to play Simon in protective custody. But Olivia appeals to Harris to set aside his feelings about heart and do the right thing. Walter has discovered how the slug-like creature works. The powder that Olivia stole from the warehouse is like eggs, um, which are activated by water and stomach acid. Uh, meanwhile, Loeb pours yellow powder into a glass of water and gives it to Dr. Simon. Simon thanks him and takes a long drink, but when Charlie returns to the room, he finds Simon beginning to convulse. Another slug emerges from his mouth, and Charlie pulls his gun and shoots it before it can escape, but Simon is already dead. That is not the best way to uh, confront oversized parasites. No, but at least Charlie's starting to see the weird shit now. At least he's... Because he's been in the dark quite a lot. Yeah. And at least he's starting to see something. Walter has made another breakthrough. The slug is, in fact, a single gigantic specimen of the cold virus. Oh, bloody hate it when that happens. I know. Someone is killing epidemiologists with the common cold. The next day in the FBI office, Loeb tries to cheer Olivia up by playing with the magic eight ball that Ella gave her. He accidentally drops it, and as Olivia retrieves it, she spots a white spot. Spots a white spot. He might as well have said, uh, oh, am I a spy? And then put it down and it would have just gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? He might as well have just have, like lifted his shoe up to her face and says, is that a white spot in my shoe? Mm. 
You didn't see this in the warehouse, right? <laughs> um, Olivia realises that Loeb was her kidnapper. She tells Charlie her suspicions, but she needs Charlie to tap Loeb's phone because Harris is watching her every move. This is the Charlie I like. Cause yes. he's like, yeah, damn straight. He didn't believe it at first, but then he was like, yeah, fuck it. I believe it. Let's go. You believe it. Let's go for it. And I like that. Yes. Yes. When written well, Charlie is a good character, Martin. When written well. When written well. But that's true of most of us. Yes. Yeah. I know the guy who writes my life is fucking useless sometimes. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So you gave me COVID. (laughs) We needed a mid-season finale. Fair enough. Meanwhile, Olivia stops by Loeb's house, but just as she is about to pick the front door lock, Loeb's wife, Samantha, arrives. Charlie goes to Peter and asks him for a favour that would be illegal for an FBI agent to do without a warrant. A wiretap on Mitchell Loeb. Olivia pretends that she was just checking in on Samantha to see how she was doing after the events that hospitalised her husband with the heart parasite. Um, When Olivia excuses herself to go to the bathroom, Samantha calls her husband... And Mitchell tells her that she it, she needs to kill Olivia. Bloody hate when that happens. I know, but we'll get into that in a minute, why that is bollocks. Um, Olivia picks a lock of a desk in Loeb's study and finds evidence of the cold bug slug thing. Blech. Yeah. Um, just as Loeb tells Samantha where the gun is hidden, you would think she would know that already. Yes. Um, Peter, yeah. Peter's phone tap kicks in. He calls Olivia and tells her she's in danger. There's a fight and um, Olivia shoots Samantha in the head. Hooray! Yes. I thought it was good that um, she was in on it rather than just being, you know, his wife. They sort of gave her a bit more character than you usually get. Yeah, well, we know that she was in on it because of the Heart Parasite episode. Yeah, but it was good here too. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. Peter realises that Loeb doesn't know his wife is dead yet, so they use her cell to text Loeb a rendezvous location. Loeb arrives and Olivia arrests him. When Loeb gives her an evil smirk, Olivia punches him in the face. Hooray, police brutality. Exactly. But it's another agent, so it's fine. In interrogation, Olivia asks who Loeb is working for. Loeb is giving up nothing, just asking to see his wife. So Olivia pulls out the crime scene photos of Samantha dead. Loeb loses his cool, admitting to killing Kinberg. And then he starts raving about a plan that Olivia has ruined. That there is conflict with two sides in a war, Martin. Oh. That they are that they were going to let Olivia go. That they were saving her. And that she has no idea what she is up against or what she has done. So why did he want his wife to kill Olivia? I don't know. Exactly. It makes no sense, Martin. No. <laughs> you can't say, right, wife, kill Olivia, and then say to Olivia, we were trying to save you. Well, I guess if he sees himself as fighting and um, Olivia finding out about that would you know, put a stop to that, then I kind of see where he's coming from, but also he's a bit crazy. Yes, he is. And also, you know, maybe explain to the people who are in Fringe Division what is going on because it's weird shit. Oh, Jimmy, that's crazy talk. I know, crazy talk. Why would anyone talk to each other on a TV show, Martin? It's ridiculous. They wouldn't. Who'd believe it? I know. 
After getting a confession, Olivia still tries to make sense of what Loeb was talking about, but Peter surmises that Loeb was just playing head games, trying to confuse her. Olivia's not so sure, but back at home, she falls asleep, reading a book to Ella as Rachel turns out the light and tucks him in. Oh, I, I can relate to Olivia so much more now that she interacts with a child. This isn't ruining a show at all. Exactly. Um, so, Martin, the Observer, did you see him? Oh yeah, he was in um, the uh, Harvard walking across the screen as Olivia emerges from her car. Yeah, I read that at the exact same time. <laughs> uh, the glyphs they spell out saved. Um, apparently there is no clue from the previous episode. So there you go. Mark Valley and Blair Brown do not appear in this episode. No fucking shit. They're never there. So the next episode, Martin, is called The No-Brainer. Hooray! Olivia Dunham, Walter Bishop, and Peter Bishop are called in to investigate the death of a teenager who was found in a pool of goo. Blimey. Um, yes. That's to look forward to next week, Martin. Same fringe time, same fringe channel. Exactly. Um, so that's all we have time for. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Drop the Pilot Pod on Twitter, is shiftbench.co.uk as the website. Contact at shiftbench.co.uk or if you want to, you know, tell us that we're wrong about this episode and this episode was the best one ever. Um, you'd be wrong, but you can do that. Um, where can people find you on the internet, Martin? Uh, at the Faldo on Twitter. Exactly. Thank you, Martin. So thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Ha 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 ha